couple summers ago, uh, my family and I went on vacation, and we were in western New York, and we went to a state park there, a famous state park, and beautiful, wonderful place. And um, we, we were driving around the park and checking it out, and ooh, ah, and all the trees and all the greenery, and we stopped at this little rest area, this little... Um, this little, it was really like a museum slash bathroom break. So it was a museum that, it was a really small little shed, and it kind of was a museum about the area. It gave you the history of all the place, you know, exhibits everywhere and just cool stuff. And so I was sitting in the car, because we were in two separate cars. We had, we had in-laws there, and so two separate cars. And so my girls were in another car uh, with their aunt and uncle. And we pulled up there, and so they went in to go potty. And so they were in there, because that's what you do when you're literally you go potty. And so we, they went in to go potty. And, um, and we're sitting in the car waiting for them to come out, and their aunt comes out to the car and says, hey, um, the, girls are, the girls are locked in the bathroom. And I said, what? So yeah, they're, they're locked in the bathroom. Uh, the, guy, the guy who's running the museum place, he, he knew it, would, it wasn't working, the lock was broken, but he didn't say, he, he let them go in there, and they're, they're locked, and they, they can't seem to get out. And I was like, okay, 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 no, no reason to panic. And so I, I got out of the car, and I walked in, Grandpa came in, and Uncle Mike came in. By the way, Grandpa is really big, and, and Uncle Mike is like really big, and I'm like, hi. So... So we're, so the girls are in there. So we're, we're at the door saying, hey, are you guys okay? Are you guys okay? And my youngest daughter, Reese, who's sitting right here, she, she began to cry. She started to cry and panic because she couldn't get out. And so she's crying and Aurora might have been misting a little bit. I'm not sure, but they were crying. So I'm, I'm listening to my daughters starting to cry and scream on the other side of this door. And as a father, you know what that does to you. And so Homertown over here, who let them in there in the first place, he, he, he's like, uh, I'm like, hey, ha, are you getting help? What's going on? He's like, yeah, I made a call. I'm like, well, how long is it going to take? He's like, I don't know. He was throwing attitude at me, saying, I don't know. So I just said, well, we're going to kick the door down then to this nice, quaint little museum. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I am. And so that was all Uncle Mike needed. So Uncle Mike went, bam, kicked the door. Like, dude, didn't open. The girl, step back, get back, get back. He's grabbing onto my shoulder. He's grabbing onto Uncle Mike's shoulder, uh, uh, Grandpa's and my shoulder. He's jumping up in the air, bam, kicking the door about five times until finally, bam, we just kicked it. They just flew as splinters everywhere. The lock mechanism falls off. Door opens. The girls come out, and we hug, and they're crying, and they're in tears, and I pick them up and carry them out. Now, now the weird thing about this story is I don't know how this happened, but we just, we just decided, we just kept walking. Like, I walked out. And for some reason, we just got in the car, and we just drove away. <laughs> and so, so, we're da- so we're down a ways a little bit, and, uh, and the maintenance workers, they come cruising up behind us, screeching on the brakes, blocking our car in, and they get out, and they're yelling at us because of breaking the door down in their nice little museum. And we're like, excuse me, that dude let my daughters in, and they're crying, and they couldn't get out. I was going to get in there and rescue them. And so then the police show up, so the cops come, and we're standing there on the side of the road. There's like, you know, the lights are going around, the cops there talking to us. We're trying to explain the situation. Of course, there at the museum, they just said, these guys showed up, and they kicked the door down. They didn't tell the whole story. So this ended up in like, like three, four, five hours of conversation and figuring it out and a criminal record, and <laughs> no, we, we argued about it for quite some time, and, uh, and it ended up finally after all, all was said and done about four hours later, Uncle Mike paid 50 bucks and walked out, 
and that was the end of the story. But I almost ended up in prison. <laughs> Why am I telling you this story? Because <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> um, no, I'm telling you this story because it, this, it was a moment where I decided I'm taking matters into my own hands. <laughs> I'm going to do this myself. Nobody, uh, nobody, nobody's going to help me. Nobody's going to fix this. And I'm going to do this myself. Regardless of the consequence, I'm going to do this myself, right? Now, every story, every analogy is imperfect because in this case, would I do it again? Absolutely. <laughs> I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would kick down a thousand doors to get to my daughters. Like, that's not even a question. But, but uh, oftentimes in our lives, we, we do this. We decide, I'm going to take all this on for myself. I'm going to do everything myself, and I'm not going to rely on you, and I'm not going to rely on anybody else, and I'm going to put my faith in me and my skills, and nobody else can help me. You can't, you can't, nobody. And I think we need to push back on that today. In Romans chapter 4, that's kind of what, what some of what Paul is doing. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're in this series called Life in the Balance, and we're working our way through the book of Romans, or if you will, the letter written to the Romans. And Romans really is it's kind of the basic handbook of Christianity, because all the issues show up in there. All the issues come out, and you get to talk about and argue about all of them. And God has literally used this book to change history. I said this the first week, but Augustine, St. Augustine, he became a Christian because of the book of Romans. Martin Luther started the Reformation in 1517 because of Romans. John Wesley started the Wesleyan Revivals in 1738 because of Romans. And my prayer is that God would use these next several weeks and this letter to the Romans to do similar things in us and in our church that he would shift us, that he would bring revival to us, that he would spark us, and that history would be changed because of what he wants to do. So today, we're in Romans chapter 4, and we're going to talk a little bit about faith, putting our trust in somebody else. That word faith, or believe, is used 485 times in the New Testament. It must be kind of important. In Romans, there are over 60 references to belief or unbelief. And last week I said, if you could sum up the Christian life in one word, that word would be faith. Where other religions of the world will say, you've got to do a bunch of things, you have to perform these certain set things, the Christian life will just say, you need to believe. You need to accept what Jesus has done for you. You need to receive it. You need to have faith. Have faith. Everything that God does, has done for us only comes through faith, and only through faith in Jesus Christ himself, which means there's only one condition for us to get in on all of it, and that is to believe. Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith, it's what? It's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith's a big deal if we're ever going to walk in all that God has planned for us to walk in. So in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, Paul gives us the motivation that we need to live our lives by faith. Here's what he says. Romans 4, 17, as it is written, and he's talking about Abraham here, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. I love this passage of scripture. Paul's motivation is two powerful and important God activities that can be active and at work in your life. Creation and resurrection. Creation and resurrection. God brings dead things to life and he creates something where there's nothing. Let's look at those two ideas. God brings dead things to life. Romans 4:17. The verse said, "The God who gives life 
to the dead. People, this is incredible. God specializes in resurrection. This is what he does, bringing dead things to life. And you look around and say, well, well, I ain't never seen it. I ain't never seen anybody come back from the dead. I don't know why you got like that all of a sudden, but I don't see that in my own life. But if you pay attention, yes, you do see it. You see it because he, he's resurrected things in your life physically. The health that you have, getting, the battling of sickness. The, you've seen people uh, get well. You, you've seen him improve people's health. He restores health to our bodies. So that's physical. It's resurrection. It's a restoration of life. He does it emotionally by restoring relationships, a marriage that's gone sour, a friendship that got busted up, and they come back together when it didn't seem like they ever could. You see it spiritually when he brings new life into our lives, God breathing new life into a church or into a group of people. It's a revival. He does that. He resurrects things. I watched resurrection happen this weekend at the Catalyst Retreat. This is what God does, and God's plan for all of us is resurrection life. Every person in this room, that's his plan. Resurrection life. But he also creates something out of nothing. Romans 4, 17, continuing on, said he calls things that are not as though they were. Isn't that good? This is what God does. He creates things where there's nothing. He creates stuff where there's no stuff. There's no stuff. God says a word and he creates stuff. Stuff appears. Romans 4, 17 in the New American Standard says, he calls into being that which does not exist. He speaks it, and it appears. In Genesis chapter 1, there's a phrase that comes up over and over and over again, and that phrase is, and God said. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. He just speaks it, and it shows up. Whatever God says, it happens. That's the power of God's word. He speaks things into existence. He speaks, and things show up. So in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul, he's starting to connect the dots now between faith and seeing resurrection and creation in our lives. Seeing miracles happen. Miracles occurring. Miracles in your life. Things that were dead coming back to life. Things that were not being called into existence because of faith in God's work. And he does, Paul does all this by looking at four things that Abraham did in his life. And if we'll just decide that we want to do them too, you can see miracles, resurrection life, creation. You can actually see. I'm convinced that we've just lost touch with all of it. In fact, I was just out here this, this morning talking to Michelle Skellinger, and we're talking about, <laughs> all right, <laughs> shout out for Michelle. Uh, we're out there, and, and she, said, she said, you know, it's like we've just lost touch with, uh, with our faith and what it really is. I mean, at the basis of our faith is a virgin birth. Like it's just a miraculous event, a virgin birth. At the basis of our faith is Jesus Christ himself being raised from the dead, being dead and coming back alive again. It's like we've lost faith with all that because we're like, oh, I can't pay my bills. Nothing's ever going to happen. Oh, it's terrible. My life is awful. Virgin birth, resurrection from the dead. That's the foundation. Oh, but my son, he'll never come home again. <laughs> no, resurrection life. We've lost touch. We've forgotten the foundations of who we are. We go through life just expecting it all to be natural and normal, and I'm going to work it out on my own instead of having faith and believing God for miracles. Dad, burn it. <laughs> so we're going to go through the things that Abraham did in order to see it. And these things, by the way, they stand out in stark contrast to Romans chapter 1. And the humans, the humanity, all of us that have ignored God and not paid any attention and not given him glory and just kind of done our own thing. 
So here we go. I'm just going to kind of make them commands for all of us today. And the first one, it's so simple. So simple. You've heard it a million times, but it's just put all your faith in God. Put all of it, all of your faith in God. In contrast to humans who ignore God, the creator in Romans chapter 1, Abraham believed in God as the creator and the life giver. Romans 4.17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. In whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Notice those words, everybody, in whom. In whom. There are so many other things that we put our faith in, isn't there? So many other things. I put my faith in myself. I put my faith in my strength, my incredible, awesome, manly physique, strength. I, I put it in my finances. I, 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 if, I, if I'm getting paid and I got, got good health insurance and things are okay, then, then life is all right. We put all of our faith into other things, into my job, into my career, into my friends, into my spouse, into all these other things, my, my church, my, my, my own principles, my own point of view. We put our faith in those things, and at some point, they always fail. They always let us down. Abraham didn't believe in those things. He didn't believe in a principle. He didn't even just believe in the promise that God had given him. He believed in a person, an actual person. Our faith is not in an outcome. Our faith is placed in a person. His name is Jesus. He didn't believe in himself. He believed in God. So the first idea, <coughs> excuse me, first idea for us to cease the miraculous in our lives, resurrection, creation, is this idea, in whom? Abraham put his trust in God and not in himself. Look, faith isn't a positive mental attitude. Faith isn't getting all psyched up. Yeah, it's gonna be okay, yeah! That's not what faith is. Faith isn't wishful thinking. Oh, I hope that one day this happens. That's, that's not faith. You remember that book? The little, is it a little golden book? I think it is. The Little Engine That Could. Remember that? I love that story. I have some affection there for that book. <laughs> that story, The Little Engine, and he just said, I think I can, 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 I think I can. And he gets up and over the hill, and I, I think I, what did I say? I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. And we've got this idea today that that's all it takes. If you'll just think it, if you'll think positive thoughts, if you'll think it, it'll happen, it'll be okay. I haven't heard one author go so far as to instruct you to take your dream, take the thing that you want to see in your life, and imagine it as a cookie. Imagine it as a little cookie, your vision for life in the cookie, and now believe in the cookie and eat the cookie and let the cookie go down and become a part of you, and your dreams will come true. It's that stupid. <laughs> Look, and there's some positive things. There's some good things about positive thinking, but, 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 but I... I, I know, I can prove to you that it's not true. You think it and it'll happen, I can prove to you that it's not true. Do you know how I know? American Idol. <laughs> you, watch, you watch those, it's about to come back again. You watch those, those auditions and those people, they think they can sing. They've thought it their whole lives. They don't have friends, they don't have family members that love them to say, you stink. They think they can do it. And they stand up there and for the first time in their lives, they get told, that was the most atrocious thing I've ever heard in all of my life. That's why you can see some of their faces like. They thought it, 
and it didn't happen. Look, there is a lot of truth to the idea. I'm not putting down, though you think I am. I'm not putting down positive attitudes. I believe in positive mental attitude. There's a legitimate place for expectation. There's a legitimate place for positivity. It's so much better than negativity and pessimism or even realism, which is a nice way of saying you're a pessimist. There's so much better than all of those things. It's just that that's not what faith is. It's not faith. Faith is different than having a positive mental attitude. Faith is when you take all of your trust, all of your hope, everything that you have, and you place it on Jesus. You just place it on God, and you believe that he'll come through. Not on yourself, not in something else or someone else. In, in Romans 4, 17, Abraham, he put all of his faith in God. He believed in God, and he believed that he could do a miracle. Faith never just depends on you. It always, always, it looks to somebody greater than you. It looks to something greater than you. It looks to something outside of you. You have to put your faith in something besides you. Hebrews 6, 13, 15 says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Sometimes we, you know, men, we, men or women, we, we swear by someone greater than us. You know, you'll hear people say, oh, I swear to God. I swear to God, it happened, right? God, God doesn't do that. If he was to say that, he would have to say, you already are there, I swear to me. Dude, I swear to me, it happened. I swear to me, that, that absolutely happened. He wouldn't say that. Sometimes people, you know, it's a little offensive. They'll say, oh my God. He can't say that. Oh my me. Like that's what, that's what he says, because there's nobody higher. His text threads don't say OMG. They say OMM. Oh. Mm. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised to Abraham. So he confirmed it with an oath. And he said, I want you to know I'm promising you, Abraham, that you're going to have descendants, and I'm basing all of this on me and my character. God's character is the foundation of his promises, and you can trust him. Hebrews 6.18 says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. This is great because God can't lie. If God says it, we have to believe it, and that settles it. There was an old song about that back in the day. Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's not always the way that we are because we're actually pretty jaded and cynical most of the time. God said it, he probably didn't mean it. So it's still a question for me. A promise is only as good as the person who gives it. So when a dad tells his kid, hey, I'm going to take you fishing next Sunday, that's all he has. What can the kid hold on to? Nothing except the character of his father. The author of Hebrews is saying God always makes good on his promises. If God said it, that should settle it for all of us. Whether we believe it or not, God said it, it'll happen. Let's move quickly here. The second thing that Paul points out is that we have to base our hope on God's word. Romans 4.17 says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Any grammar nerds? You want to confess in the room that you're a grammar nerd? Any grammar nerds in the room? <laughs> you should be like, <laughs> I'm not one of those, but I think this is what you might call an oxymoron. <laughs> it's what you might call an oxymoron. What is that? If you're not a grammar nerd, you take two contradictory statements and you put them together to heighten the impact. Abraham had no reason to believe, no hope, and yet Abraham, in hope, he believed. And here's what the rest of the verse says. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. 
Abraham's hope was based on a promise from God himself. Not wishful thinking, not a grand idea, not a vision or a dream. His hope was based on a promise that came from the mouth of God. But Abraham was facing a hopeless situation. Like, they're old. Abraham and Sarah, they were old and barren. But Abraham didn't listen to any of the cynics saying, oh, it can't be done. It's not going to happen. You're too old, man, because he already made a decision to base his life on what God had said. Oh, that we would just live like that. I'm going to base my life on what God has said to me. I'm going to move forward. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to have more faith? Would you like to have more faith? Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing God's word. It comes from hearing what God says. If you want to increase your faith, you've got to surround yourself with God's words. Not so much Twitter. There's not a lot of God's words on Twitter. Not on Facebook. And I'm not slamming any of those things. I use those things. But we spend so much time in those, or the news feeds, or watching the news, CNN or Fox, depending on your preference. We spend so much time, and those are all the words that come into our lives. And it's no surprise that we don't have hope and we don't have faith. It's all just bad and negative and people vomiting their opinions all over you. We need to put that stuff further down and elevate the word of God in our lives. Get more of his words into us. This is why being in Catalyst is so important. This is why being a group is so important for you. This is why being here on a Sunday morning is so important for you. It's incredibly important. It can be life-changing if you let it. And the more you do things like this, the greater your faith will become. God's word is the food. It strengthens our faith. So you might be saying, I do, I really do. I'd, I'd like to have some more faith. So my first question to you would be, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Are you in Catalyst? Are you in a group? Are you showing up here on Sunday mornings? Are you spending your own time with God? If the answer to those questions is no, then you can't expect to grow. You can't expect to grow in your faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. It's based on the word of God. Listen, that's not a slam. That's not a knock on you. All that is is an invitation for you to experience it. Number three, face the facts and look beyond them. Abraham faced the facts of his life, but he chose to look beyond Romans 4.19 says, without weakening, weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. That's so encouraging. Well, I can't do much with it. <laughs> he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Abraham looked beyond the very obvious circumstances of his life. He saw them. He knew they were there. He just looked beyond them. Some of you are in situations right now where you need a miracle. And all you can look, about, look, at, look at, all you can think about is the problem in front of you. Instead of looking beyond it and seeing what's past it, seeing what God could do. It's like when you were a kid, did you ever play with magnifying glasses? You know, if, if you were a girl, you probably looked really nice at flowers. And if you were a boy, you'd burned ants and animals. There's a little give in there. We both kind of crossed over, did the same thing. But, but when you take a magnifying glass and you put it on something, what happens? It just becomes bigger. It's all that you can see. And that's so often what we do. We just put the magnifying glass of our time and worry and attention and anxiety, we put it on a problem, and that's all there is. Oh, my God, this is never going to happen. I'm, gonna, I'm ruined. Instead of looking beyond, instead of taking the magnifying glass, worry, doubt, anxiety, and placing it solely on God, and he becomes bigger. 
And now this thing that I was worried about, oh, it's really small. He's huge. This is small. This is all we're talking about. Take the magnifying glass of your life, your worry, your doubt, and anxiety, and place it on him. Verse 19 says, Abraham, without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts, which means you can look at the realities of your life and you can still keep your faith. Faith isn't pretending. It's not saying there's not a problem. It's not living in a fantasy world. Abraham faced the facts. Okay, I'm an old dude. I'm impotent. My wife's barren. We're really old. We're not having a kid. He faced the facts, but he didn't allow the facts to weaken his faith. He still believed. Some of us have been taught, and we actually believe that in order to have faith, you have to ignore reality. You have to, you have to ignore the problem. Like it's pouring rain outside, and we've been taught to walk outside and say, it's not raining today. And you don't have a raincoat, and you don't have an umbrella. It's not raining at all. It's a beautiful, glorious day. And you're drenched. But it's not raining. Really? Then you sweat a lot. Like, you're gross. If you get a cold, you say, I'm not sick. I am totally fine. I'm sorry, you're fined? I'm fined. You're fined. No, I'm fined. Claiming that you're not sick. Listen, th this isn't faith. What th that's fantasy. That's just fantasy. Faith isn't fantasy. It's not ignoring the problem. Faith isn't pretending that everything's okay. Faith is facing the facts and still believing. I can look at the facts and still believe that God will come through. Faith isn't pretending and saying it's not an impossible situation. It is an impossible situation. If it requires a miracle, it's an impossible situation. I need God to show up. I can still have faith. Faith is believing that in spite of all the contradictory evidence, God is still going to work it out and he's still going to make it right. Abraham facing the facts meant at 99, he still had no son. At 99, his body was incapable of fathering a child. At 90, Sarah's womb was dead, but God promised him a son. Romans 4, 19, the Living Bible says, Abraham believed God even though such a promise couldn't come to pass because his faith was strong. He didn't worry about the fact that he was too old to become a father at the age of 100. So the issue becomes then, when you're faced with impossible facts, what do you do? What do you do? Remember Peter when he got out and walked on the water? He got on the water, he's walking, he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he does good. As soon as he looks around at the circumstances, he sinks. You simply have to keep your eyes on Jesus. The same thing is true for you and for me. And I think it's important to clarify this for us because some people, some people have gone too far in this positive confession thing. There's a term that we use for it through the years and it's name it and claim it. I name it, if I name it, I get to claim it, it's mine. I like to call it blab it and grab it. I blab it and grab Whatever I say, I'm going to get. Well, God wants to give me a Tesla. I claim that Tesla. I claim that private jet. God, give me a million dollars. Like that, that, that hasn't worked. And I don't, I don't think that it should work that way. Actually, what I really think is I think that's degrading of God. I think that's, that's considering him like your own personal genie. And he will do whatever I tell him to do. If I say it, if I claim it in his name, if I do those things... His ways are so much higher than our ways, and he knows what you need before you ask him, and he's not really interested in all that stuff. Now, it's true that our words do have tremendous effect on our lives. It's true that our words are the tools of faith. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
Our words do have a powerful effect, and it's good for us to make statements of faith. I don't let my kids, I believe in this, I don't let my kids walk around the house and continually say, I'm sick, I'm so sick, I feel so bad, oh, because they just say it a lot. I'm so sick, oh, I don't feel good. I just say, hey, stop saying that. I just want you to stop saying that. My grandma, all the years growing up, my nana, she would say, if I would say, nana, I don't feel good, she would say, nope, you can't say that. You say, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Nana, I don't say it! I do believe in positive confession. I do believe that your words are important. I just don't believe that God is like a jackpot machine or a genie to give you whatever you want. Our words do have powerful effects, though, but faith, here's what faith is. It's facing the facts, but still not allowing it to weaken your faith. Look at the facts. Admit it and say, oh, but it doesn't matter because God's going to come through and perform a miracle. That's what Abraham did. I can't do this, but God's going to do it. And finally, give all the glory to God, Romans 4, 20 through 21 says, yet he didn't waver. So through all this, he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. In contrast to humans who didn't give God glory, Abraham gave all of the glory to God, even in the midst of it not happening. Before he had a kid, he was still giving God all the glory. Pastor Ross has a message that he preaches from time to time, and it's simply called, Worship Your Way Through It. And I'm telling you, some of you need to do that today. Life is hard, circumstances are rough, you're facing the facts, and it doesn't look good. What Abraham did when he did that is he decided, I'm going to worship God all the way through it. I'm going to worship God through the storm. I'm going to worship God through the trial. I'm going to worship God through the anxiety. I'm going to worship God through the indecision. I'm going to worship God through the unknown. I'm going to worship him all the way through it. And they come out on the other side seeing God come through. Worship your way through it. Our tendency is to go, why, why do you hate me? Why are you so mad at me? Why are you punishing me? What have I done? We blame him. We become angry at him when things don't go wrong. Don't do that. He loves you. He has your best interest at heart. So instead, just say, okay, God, I don't understand these circumstances, but I know that you're good. I know that you're great, and I love you, and I worship you, and I welcome you into this circumstance, and I welcome you into this situation, and I don't have all the answers, and I don't know how I'm going to get all the answers, and I'm not sure this is ever going to come through, but God, I'm deciding today to place my faith in you, and I give you all the glory that you're going to come through. You'd be surprised how your circumstances would change. You'll be surprised how you will change as you go through the circumstances. He says he didn't waver. Abraham didn't waver. He didn't stagger around. He didn't wonder. He didn't go, I don't, I don't know, God, is this ever going to happen? He didn't do that. He walked safe and secure, and he gave God all the glory all the way through it until he had a son. Why don't you guys come on up? Romans 4.20 says he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God. Abraham thanked God in advance and in the midst of uncertainty. Now listen, please listen as they come up. Listen real quick. How did he do this? How, how did Abraham thank God in advance? How did he worship God in the midst of uncertainty? How do we do this? I think Romans 4.21 gives us the answer because it says, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is the last thing for us today. If you want to live your life in a way that sees resurrection, creation, the miraculous in your life, you live fully persuaded like, like Abraham was.
I'm fully persuaded. I have been convinced. I'm persuaded that he's good. I'm persuaded that he has my best interest at heart. I'm persuaded that he's gonna come through. I am fully persuaded. I have nothing left. I'm, I'm not doubting it. I'm not worried about it. I know that it's gonna be okay. I know that he's gonna come through. I am persuaded. Close your eyes and bow your heads. And let me just ask you that simple question today. Are you persuaded? Are you fully persuaded that God is good and he's gonna come through?